Who you calling crazy? Welcome to Who You Calling Crazy. This is a unique mental health podcast. We are erasing the stigma and elevating and normalizing dialogue around mental health. Of course, we'll be sharing practical therapy tips, but most importantly, we'll be diving into the stories and vulnerability of people you know or want to know. I'm your host, Juliette Kuhnley. Joining me in this episode is Charlita Hatch. She is awesome, and she'll tell us a little bit more about herself, but among many things, she is a consultant, a community leader, and an author of two amazing books. I can't wait for you to hear our conversation. Hi, I'm Charlita Hatch. I have anxiety. I also feel I struggled from postpartum anxiety, and I didn't even know that was a thing Mm. uh, until a year and a half into... um, after my son was born and then it took me another year after that to like work through all the things. Um, But the many hats that I wear um, is I am a wife to my high school sweetheart and a mom to my son, uh, Mark, who's three years old. So there's, Mm -hmm. there's anxiety right there. Woo. Three major. Yes. Three major all the way. Mm -hmm. And uh, by day I work for a local consulting firm here called Slalom, where it is a male dominated and underrepresented industry. Um, And so anxiety in that role and have been doing that for almost 15 years. And I am a community leader with the Junior League of Charlotte, which is a 1600 uh, member organization um, that has been around in the Charlotte community for 95 years. Mm -hmm. And I'm also a children's book author. I just released my second uh, children's book. So so a lot of irons in the fire and a big proponent of mental health in order to cope with all the things. That's right, because you're a doer. A doer and a giver. Yes. And so if you don't take care of yourself, people will just take, 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 take. And That's right. Nothing to give. And yeah. That's right. So it's boundary setting. It's prioritizing self-care. It's, yes. you know, learning how to deal with all of the constant noise in your head. Yeah. Yes. I'm very familiar. Yes. yes. Okay. So that, and that just kind of goes into the first question, just um, speaking more specifically into mental health um, for you and just kind of what you're willing to share about that journey. And so you already let us in a little bit on that. Um, And what's so interesting about it is, I mean, I think the numbers are one in three women have anxiety, right? But, but specifically, even we talk about um, um, postpartum, uh, perinatal, like people don't really talk about it. No, no. And and so Having anxiety, you know, as a black woman, you know, growing up in the South, my dad was a pastor, you know, a lot of it was, you don't need to worry about therapy, you just need to pray. You, yes. this, yeah. is, this is not what we do. You don't need to do all that. You need to have faith. You need to trust God. And I would get so overwhelmed. And one time I was traveling um, and consulting Monday through Thursday, and I was actually going through a divorce um, from my first husband. Mm-hmm. And I got on the plane and I literally felt like I was drowning mm-hmm. and I was like gasping for air. And like, and my, my brain knew that there was no water, but I was like, oh. like literally trying to like come yes. out for air. Panic. And the flight attendant, bless her, was like, I don't think you need to take this flight. And I couldn't talk. 
But she mm-hmm. helped me get off the flight, get on the, you know, get to, um, yeah. they called the medic in the airport. Yep. And after that, I realized that I needed support beyond yeah. what I was doing just through church sure. and that it was okay. And I could still be a good Christian and a mm. good daughter and a strong black woman yeah. if I would go and get some extra support. And I think as women, we we have a badge of honor that we wear of like doing all the things by ourselves, not having a village, not taking care of ourselves, putting ourselves last. And really, it just does us a disservice. And nobody gets a trophy for all of that. Right. So yeah. that was like my struggle with anxiety, which I have actively managed. I got on medication for it yes. um, for a time period. And my uh, therapist was very into we can work on strategies if you want to. And so I'm proud to say I'm not on medication now, uh-huh. um, but have a standing Monday at 12 noon uh, therapy it. appointment that I've had for over a decade. Yes, for that and maintenance too, right? That's such a part of it. Mm-hmm. And there's so much that you don't even realize you're carrying and to have a non-judgmental space mm-hmm. with someone who knows you, knows your journey mm-hmm. and understands like being a doer, mm-hmm. you know, I'm always getting assignments and homework and like boundary setting and goal setting mm-hmm. and little charts to work on. And that really helps me to see it and manage um, the anxiety and I can have good conversations with my husband yes. as well about things he can do to help me. Sometimes I'm having an anxiety attack and I don't mm-hmm. know it, right? You don't see when you're spiraling. You don't see right. when things are getting bigger um, or uncontrollable for you. But with him being able to recognize some of the symptoms and learning from our therapist on how to help support me has really been instrumental. So that's probably the anxiety piece. Yeah. The postpartum piece we were hyper-focused, my husband and I, knowing that I had anxiety, been on and off medication about postpartum depression. Got it. We were watching for that. Sure. But I didn't have any of those symptoms. And when you go to the doctor and they're checking on you. They screened for that. Yep. They screen for depression. And so you're you're totally fine. Right. And, but I would wake up in the middle of the night and think my son was kidnapped. I would run around the house and make sure all the windows were locked. Yeah. And I would literally go to sleep, would not go to sleep because I felt like if I fell asleep, yeah. something would happen to him. Yeah. Just hypervigilant. Yeah. And everybody was like, well, you're a first time mom. Mm-hmm. You're a first time mom. And I started to look at some of my other friends who were having babies and they were so calm and they would, <laughs> they would pass their babies around and, you know, they, they would leave and go places. And, right. and I'm like, that wasn't you. something wrong. And so I was still seeing my therapist, but not talking about that. And so I finally was talking to her about what I was going through. And she was like, you know, I think you're having postpartum anxiety. And I thought, I didn't even know that was a thing. Mm-hmm. No one even shared that with me. And I really honestly felt like my first year and a half of motherhood was not enjoyable, yeah. very stressful, sure. very isolating. Sure. And um, I needed help. And the people around me didn't know I needed help because they gave me a pass for being a first time mom. That's right. You know, my husband didn't see it. He had never had a baby before. So he's like, this is what they say first time moms do. And I, I, I really felt like I probably needed some extra therapy and probably some medication yeah. to navigate that space. And like I told you earlier, it took me over a year after getting that identified to feel good about being a mom. So mm-hmm. it was a two and a half year journey that probably didn't need to be that long if people sure. hadn't even told me that postpartum anxiety existed. 
Right. And then it's such an identity shift because you're, you're questioning so much. And then I, I appreciate your, your vulnerability in sharing this, right. And all the layers, um, you know, cause I mean, I sit here, you know, as a white woman who I, I know sort of the stereotypes of first time mom, da, 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 but the layers that you acknowledge of um, being in the church, being a black woman, um, you know, certain cultural things that maybe, you know, we don't put our business out there. We don't talk to other people, that sort of thing. And, and having to decide and sort of give yourself permission to break through some of those rules. Yes. And that, and that honestly is tough because yeah. people, especially in this era of social media. So you have the generation of moms that, you know, didn't talk about anything and everything mm -hmm. was roses and it's just a blessing and mm -hmm. what a privilege God is giving you to have this baby right. that's crying and driving you right the house. all the time. Yeah. And then you have the era that we're in raising kids where it's, you know, social media and all the kids are cute and you know, the moms yeah. are so happy and they lost all their baby weight. And, and you're just, you're looking. And I actually took my son to the doctor and I was like, I think there's something wrong with him. Mm -hmm. He cries a lot. And mm -hmm. other people's babies, they don't cry. Oh gosh. And, and my doctor was like, this is a baby. human baby. He's going to cry. <laughs> And I was like, no, but those moms on social media, if you go to this hashtag, their babies oh, don't look please. like my baby. Right. Well, we could go off about the inauthenticity of social media, right? So, <laughs> but you, you, you've claimed it, you know, you've, you've, you've figured out along the way how to claim it and then yeah. how to make like, to your point earlier too, of spirituality, spirituality, you know, in prayer is a beautiful coping skill, you yes. know, and, and, and sometimes it's just that it's like part of your, your, in your toolbox, <laughs> Well, and, and so the therapist that I see, she has a master's in Christian counseling uh -huh. and she's a licensed marriage family therapist. And it's a beautiful thing how yes. she's able to blend different books or scriptures that we read. And then, you know, when you believe in, if you believe in medicine, mental health is a form of that, right? And so it's, yes. you know, it's, it's, it's very freeing when you realize that you're not saying you're not a faith-based person, right. if you go seek some additional support. Right. It doesn't mean, you don't have to be either or, you can be both. Yes, and I'm all about holding that dialectic, right, of just the both and, always, yes. instead of the either or. So, um, you know, we would be remiss in sort of acknowledging mental health and people of color, right, if we didn't address, um, you know, intergenerational trauma and, you know, constant re-traumatization um, on the daily from people's biases to systemic racism, everything in between, um, inequity all over the place. So certainly not you speaking for a group of people, but, you know, specific to your work, you identified early on, you, you know, even amidst your anxiety as you were reading to your son, um, that there's a lack of representation and you understood how that would impact his self-concept and his um, overall wellness and you did something about it. Yes. And so, so let's, I'm gonna go back a little bit and say that I think as, you know, as a black mother, having a black son, and thinking about that intergenerational kind of um, area that you're talking about, where black moms have worried about their son mm -hmm. coming home since slavery. Mm -hmm. You never knew if your son was going to return home because he could get sold off. And so when I was pregnant in 2016, I had two different white women come up to me after Charlotte had an officer involved shooting and tell me they were sorry that I was bringing a black boy into this world. 
And that even changed the way I viewed my pregnancy. I'm like, am I being selfish by bringing life to the world? What am I going to do to protect him? How do I make sure our family is not a statistic? And so there's this pressure, too, of having your son, even at a young age, just being three. But, you know, you don't want him to look bad. You don't want (laughs) him to look this and that and all of that. And so just thinking about, you know, race playing into the mental health and mental health of mothering, it's like an extra thing that you're constantly worried about um, in so many different facets where you just want your son to come home, come home without a label or any judgment, even as young as three. And so when I was reading to him, you know, because I'm a first-time mom, and you do what the doctor tells you to do. Mm-hmm. We follow the book. So, you know, maybe if I had another kid, I would be off script. But we follow in the book around here. And so they're like, you need to read to your kid because you want them to have good verbal languages and all of those things. So I'm reading to him, and we're reading all kinds of books. In fact, our favorite book is called My Mommy is Magic. It's a story about a working mom and her daughter and how even though the mom leaves, whenever her daughter needs her, she magically appears. So mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. So, but when it came to books that featured little black boys, I started to notice that the books that we were reading seemed to be sports related or civil rights related. And so I thought maybe I bought. So I did some research and I found that less than 10% of children's books featured people of color. And less than 3% of those books had black boys as the leading protagonists. So then how many of those books do you think are Martin Luther King and Michael Jordan? And so then we start thinking about, you learn about the brain development of your child and how 80% of their brain is developed by the time they're three years old. You're reading, you're penetrating these images, and you even think about books that feature girls, right? If if every book that you see with girls has girls cooking and boys- Or being saved by the, yeah, yeah. You will infer that that's what's happening, even if that's not what the story says. So then if we apply that same methodology to our black boys, you start to think of black boys as a as a something untouchable, not human. Right. You you don't look at black boys and say their mamas love them. They like the red ball. They like the choo choo train. You like they play sports or they're a thug or they're a preacher because Mm -hmm. that's what the images are showing. And so that's why I wrote Black Boy Joy, because I wanted to tell a story of a mother who loves their son in a way that could resonate with all moms. And I think if we can get back to the village mentality where if you see my son and and he's he's 15 years old and he has on a hoodie and he's doing something he's not supposed to be doing, I want you to say, "Uh uh-uh, your mama is not having that. I don't need you to shoot. I need you to call the police because they're just, they're kids and kids do things. But we don't get that opportunity as black people and black sons to do that. And that's why I wrote my second book, which is Black Boy Joy Christmas Countdown. Because when you think about the black family at Christmas, there's two images that really resonate in people's head. There's Kwanzaa which we don't celebrate in our house. We celebrate Christmas. Mm -hmm. Or you think about, oh, I need to get that kid a coat. Oh, I need to go to Salvation Army. Oh, I need to think about Operation Christmas Mm Child. But no, my son loves Santa. He writes letters to Santa. He wants to decorate the tree. Mm -hmm. He wants to do the gingerbread house. But that's not the norm. Mm -hmm. That's not what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. And I think we can change the, the 
uh, stereotype in the narrative around the black family, black moms, and black boys if we start with our libraries at home. Oh, yeah. Because even if you think about a black mom, I'm so very cognizant that people don't automatically see me as nurturing. Mm. Right. When you see images of black mothers, you see them fussing and yelling and, mm. you know, all of that. But but that is not what happens in our house and, and with any of my friends. Very nurturing, very loving. Um, but we've got to change the narrative so we can take some of this mental stress off that we have every day that we're constantly Ugh. worrying about the yeah. perception that others have. Right. Just the, the pressure, it sounds like. I mean, that, that your lens has to always be that yes before you can even get to some of the other stuff and um yeah so starting with what our kids see in books tvs tv shows movies um going through all the way through i mean that that forms our worldview doesn't it yes it, yeah. it and it truly does and there was yeah. a study that i read that said that by the time kids are five if you intentionally have a conversation with them on interracial friendship, it changes the total trajectory of the rest of their life. And so when we think about whether or not kids are too young to have these right. conversations, of course, we'll make them age appropriate because that's yes. what mamas do. We yes. have to have age appropriate conversations about our kids when they look at somebody and think they're overweight. Right. We yes. If the race is the same thing. Yes. Yes. And not in a colorblind way. But again, we could go off on a on that for hours too because yeah because then you think about as you get older you you look around about who you're surrounded by yes. you know, as a white person then who's in your orbit and um and so as you, if you start to kind of push and, and nudge and challenge some of this early on that just becomes normal like your village <laughs> is more diverse as you get yes. older and and it's and but as white people, we need to be very intentional and constantly intentional about having hard conversations, asking ourselves the hard questions, you know, pushing each other. Um, and then, you know, equipping our kids with these resources. Have um, you heard the saying, mean moms raise mean girls? Have you heard that? Oh, yeah. Right. And I think you can apply that to oh, yeah. inclusive moms. Oh, inclusive yeah. kids. Oh, yeah. And so our kids are mirroring, mirroring what we're doing. We don't have to make it a thing. If you and I are friends and we schedule a play date, I mean, that that is just natural. That's just normal. Right. That's that's not, um, it doesn't have to be a race conversation because they're seeing us living right. every day. Right. Huh, right. Okay. So with all of the heaviness, um, what is your go-to self-care, uh, especially through 2020? <laughs> Honestly, therapy yeah, is my yeah. self-care that is my yeah. gift to myself I see it as a gift to myself mm -hmm. there's lots to unpack it helps me even if I don't have a thing to even just reset for the week so therapy I'm a huge 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 proponent of that but then just for fun or pleasure I, I love love the real housewives <laughs> That I mean, all the all the franchise, all, no shame. all of it, no, no shame. shame. It is my guilty pleasure. Oh There's yeah, so you can much just check out. Oh yeah, and it also makes you feel like your life is so awesome. <laughs> I'm like, you know, if you have friends like on the Real Housewives, who needs friends? My friends are really great, and so just if if you're having a low moment, you just watch the Real Housewives. Okay. I've never got turned on to it. Maybe, maybe I should try. Watch it with that lens. Watch yeah, this is the, the season. Of, yeah, this is, this is how awesome. My life is great. Oh, my gosh. It, can, it might put things in perspective about, like, authenticity and just <laughs> shenanigans, right? Shenanigans. Yes. 
Um, okay, so we're sun counseling and wellness. So I always ask just your preference, um, sunrise or sunset and why? So as a faith-based person, it's the sunrise because mm -hmm. that means that God has given you another day, another opportunity to make an impact. So definitely the sunrise. Yes, I love that. I learned so much about people with that. Um, Charlita, I'm so grateful. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, oh, my gosh. Someone said we need a Real Housewives of Charlotte. No, we do not. But, but, but if, if there was, Eddie, I would not be on it because I want to keep my marriage. That's the other thing. There you go. <laughs> When you see them, you're like, uh-uh. This is not going to hold. not going to hold. I will say the biggest thing is, you know, as women especially, the best gift you can give yourself is to take care of yourself, whatever that looks like. If it's not therapy, if it's working out, if it's going on a walk, if it's even eating a bowl of ice cream, whatever it is, like, take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. No matter how you were raised to put yourself last, mm -hmm. To, to all of those things, like you've got to figure out how to unpack that and put yourself first. Yeah, I love that. That's my biggest takeaway from you, I think, is just um, giving yourself permission and finding the support system to help you kind of set those boundaries that hold that accountability. And um, it's just, I, oh my gosh, I could talk to you forever. Thank you. Yeah, we have to do this again. This was awesome. I know. I know. I loved this. So Black Boy Joy, um, and yeah, y'all go check it out on your website. Um, Thank you. And the Me 3 project and everything too, so people can kind of stay in tune with, with what you're doing and all the good hard work that you're doing. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Have a wonderful mm -hmm. 2021. Let's stay connected. All right. Talk soon. Bye. Such good conversation. A couple things I want to highlight in this episode. We talked about postpartum anxiety. It is true that doctors don't really have a screening tool for that. So it's really helpful to know some of the signs and symptoms of what postpartum anxiety can look like amidst all of the hormone disruption that happens after having a baby. So just be aware of if you have a hypervigilance around protecting the baby, if there are sleep disruptions, hot flashes, dizziness, hyperventilation, any changes kind of in your baseline of eating patterns and appetite, rapid heartbeat, things that tend to go along with typical anxiety, but if they are not helped by your regular go-to anxiety coping skills uh, or other reassurance that your support system can provide, it's worth talking to your doctor about. The other thing I really wanna highlight is we talked about panic attacks in this episode. Now, panic attacks, they tend to come on really suddenly. They involve really intense and overwhelming fear. They come with a lot of physical symptoms that can feel really scary, like racing heartbeat, shortness of breath, nausea. A lot of times people are wondering if they're having a heart attack even. So I wanted to just leave you with some go-to coping skills that you can use if you're experiencing a panic attack. If you can anchor in your breath, that is your greatest coping skill because your breath is always with you. So trying to slow that down and maybe to increase your exhale to be longer than your inhale. However, sometimes that is part of the panic because you feel like you can't breathe. So what I tend to teach people is grounding skills. Look around you, find what we call a focus object. You could use a technique that we call the 54321. Name five things that you can see and really hone in on what you can see. So not just passively, but tell me what color it is. Tell me if there's a texture to it. So five things you can see. Four things that you can feel. So I feel my feet on the ground. I feel the air conditioning blowing on my face. Again, very detailed. Three things you can hear. 
Really pay attention to the quality of the sound, two things you can smell or like the smell of, and one thing you can taste or like the taste of. This can help keep you from escalating and spinning and recenter you, reground you in the present moment. And always remember that though it doesn't feel like it, it's temporary. The panic attack is temporary and you will get through it. Thanks for listening. So who you calling crazy? I think you mean human. We are removing the stigma, y'all. Say it loud and proud. Yep, I go to therapy. 